So I'm saying we must go back to what the Lord Jesus taught, particularly in his parables, the stories and illustrations he used, to form our understanding of what is his kingdom, which he received when he was raised from the dead and to the Father's right hand. And his kingdom is at work today and will be completed at the last day of resurrection and judgment and cosmic renewal when it opens out into his eternal and glorious kingdom, in which there will be no evil, sinful thing. Today I want to focus back on us and on our part in his kingdom. And I'm going to use a number of parables the the Master teaches us these things. First of all, they're kind of simple points, but Jesus is Lord... King. (laughs) Doesn't want to do it. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, Colin, if you could find two AAA batteries for me, it might it might help. And, yeah, I think that's the issue. Meanwhile, we are slaves, servants, or stewards. Let's go go to my office to get them. Um, (laughs) Slaves, servants, or stewards. Different words. Uh, Slave and servant is really the same word. Steward is a different word. I'll come to that in a minute. But we are in the kingdom of God, and we are stewards or servants or his slaves even of the Lord Jesus. Now that's not language which many of us would be comfortable with. I've turned the batteries around and warmed them up in my hand. (laughs) Tricky. Stewardship in the kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about today. Stewardship in the kingdom of God. While I'm talking about some words a minute, Colin, if you replace those two for me. I think they're triple A's. The most common Greek word in the New Testament that gets translated as slave or servant is the Greek word doulos. But there's another word that we find particularly in the teaching of Jesus, which is oikonomos, which means steward. Actually, the guy who runs the house is the house manager, or just manager. This steward ran the household, thank you very much, Colin, On behalf of his master, he was responsible for the other servants in the household, for the household finances and supplies, even, perhaps, for the master's trade and business. You think, what did the master do? Not a lot in some cases. The house manager did it all. The steward. Abraham had a steward, Eliezer. And the teaching of the Lord Jesus points to us being more like stewards, actually, than slaves. Managers more than mere workers. But before we get puffed up about that, you know, think we're something, listen to this. There are three key issues in understanding our place in the kingdom of Jesus. They are his kingship. He is the king, the master. Mm -hmm. Then we are stewards. We've been given responsibility. Then thirdly, our accountability. We must give an account to our master for what he gave us and for the responsibilities he put upon us. The king will finally hold his servants to account. Now I need to pause on that a minute and give you some scriptures because this is something people just don't want to hear. All right? 
2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Let me give you another one, then I'll talk about it. Romans 14, verse 10, why do you judge your brother, or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Contempt, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of God and of Christ for the same judgment seat. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess, will give praise to God. I'm quoting Philippians instead of here. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Those verses were not written to them people out there. They are written to Christians. They are written to believers. Every one of us as Christians will give account to God. I could bring in other scriptures here too. It's the consistent teaching of the adjustment that we will all appear before our master and must give account to him. We're saved by the Lord Jesus from condemnation, but he still holds us accountable for our actions under his rule of grace. And some people foolishly, in my view, argue, but the Father loves us and Jesus has died for us. It really can't matter in the long run how we behave and live. I want to tell you the scriptures teach quite the opposite. It is because the Father loves us and our Messiah has died for us and God has called us to share in his eternal joy and glory that it really matters how we live. We're to live lives that honour him, that, 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 that portray his his, his justice and his beauty and his glory. And indeed, many people that I have known who've made that argument, which is you know, to live kind of without discipline and to live unruly lives, because it doesn't matter in the long run. Many of those people I have known are now shipwrecked. They're bust, they're broken. And some of them have completely lost faith. Grace equips us to live for the glory of God. Grace doesn't just forgive us for getting it wrong, it helps us to get it right. Yeah. On the last day when we're raised to life, Jesus will commend some, but some he will rebuke. Some will receive a celebrated entrance to his eternal kingdom, and others, according to 1 Corinthians 2, 3, will suffer loss and be saved, yet so as by fire. I'm not going to explain all of these terms to you this point. One thing is certain, the Lord Jesus does not lie. He will speak the truth on that day. He will act according to truth. Now I want to show you the difference between a servant and a steward. All right? A servant is given one task at a time, perhaps one day at a time. You tell him to go and do so-and-so, when he's done it, he comes back and you give him the next task. But a steward is given charge. He has to figure out what to do and how to spend his time and get his responsibilities done. And that charge could last for a lifetime. Uh, There's a whole set of things that are his responsibility and he's got to manage his time to get them done. A servant is given detailed instructions. It's interesting. This is still not... Servants given detailed instructions, you know? But a steward is trusted and given freedom to manage. They're given a set of principles, they're given a set of, of, of precepts, but they then have to make some choices. They're not following blindly one step after another, you know, the way that maybe I follow a recipe, because that's the only way I know how to cook. All right? Don't turn out too bad, does it? <laughs> But a real chef 
knows what they're doing. A steward has to know what he's doing and why he's doing it and give himself to the task. They get to choose how they manage. They make judgments and choices. A servant is accountable each day, each hour perhaps, but a steward may not give account for a very long time. Maybe the whole of his life. The Lord Jesus uses this finally giving account to the master in his stories, in his teaching, many times over. We will all finally give account. Christians too. Until that day, we need to get on with our charge, our responsibilities as stewards. We're stewards. We've received some things which are now in our hands, in our charge, in our care. And let me say this to you. You're going to be surprised by this, but you know what? We are foolish if we think we're going to get moment-by-moment instructions about every single thing we need to do. It's more a case we need to understand his ways, what would please him. We're to be not foolish, but understanding, it says in Scripture, what the will of the Lord is, what is his pleasing will. We understand what he would like, what he would want, and therefore we, we organize ourselves that way. He's given us his charge, his principles. What if you're a steward, someone who must make choices and decisions rather than just a servant following a, a, do, a, a do and don't list? That would make you really responsible, wouldn't it? You've got to be alert, you've got to be awake, you've got to be focused. That would mean that what you choose to do really counts each day, every day. So the Lord Jesus is telling us some things about his kingdom and chooses this steward, this house manager person, as an example. Someone has been given responsibility, they carry an authority, they're entrusted with something. The steward can't just sit around waiting to be told the next thing to do. He's responsible to make things happen, make decisions and take actions. But he's still got to seek, look for instruction and wisdom. He's got to learn to be wise, understanding what pleases his master. We know that the Holy Spirit is with us. But in the teaching of Jesus, Jesus goes to the other side of things and emphasizes again and again, I'm going away, you're going to have to get on without me. Now the Holy Spirit is with us and he's helping us. But we, the picture Jesus presents very often is that we need to be faithful stewards in his absence until he comes again, while he's away from us. And there are four ways in which we're to be stewards. And uh, I, there's a parable for each of them. Okay? The first one is this, material or means. You think you've misspent material, David. No, I haven't. That's originally a French word that refers to military arms, equipment, and supplies. I'm using the word to point to the fact that God has given us equipment and resources, mostly internal, the way he's made us, and we are to use those things. We're turning now to the parable of the talents. Now, the word talent, like the word prodigal, has been turned around over the years. We've made it mean what the parable means, rather what it originally means. You know, prodigal was generous rather than wondering. Talent was simply, in Bible times, a weight of metal. All right? a, a bar of iron was a talent of iron, and a bar of gold, which would be a different size, a different weight, was a, a bar of gold. A piece of metal was a talent. Okay? But because Jesus talked about talents, and we understood what he means by that, now we talk about talents being the things you got on reality shows to use. You know? <laughs> Another word I would throw in there is means. Means is an old English word that means abilities. We're to make use of our means, our abilities. The things that God has measured to us. So here's the parable. I, I'm going to read four parables today to you. I'm going to try, try and read more parables than talk about them. Really. So Matthew 25, verse 14. 
4, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, which is, he just mentioned the kingdom of heaven a few verses before, that's the context, is just like a man who is about to go, who, a man about to go on a journey, he called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To the one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Each according to his ability, his own ability. Notice that he's measuring according to our ability. Now, God, the Father, has already measured our ability to us as well. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same way, the man who had received two talents went and traded and gained two more. But the one who received one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five excuse me, talents came up and brought five more saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and I went and away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what was yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you should have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I'd have received at least the money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The great danger that the Lord Jesus presents to us in this parable is that any one of us should be like the servant who has given one measure and we despise what we've been given. And we, we are unproductive and unfruitful and therefore unfaithful to our master. Notice too that the root of this was the unfaithful slave thought badly of his master in his heart. I knew you were like that. Well, the master wasn't like that, but that's what he thought of him. How you think in your heart shapes how you behave, particularly how you think about the Lord and about yourself. Now, this parable is not specifically about money, but about faithfully serving the master, being what he's made us and using what he's given us. We are individually designed and apportioned faith for service. You can put the word ministry there if you really have to. But that that service takes place more outside than in church. It's about the whole of our lives. We serve the Lord Christ in our home and family, in our workplace, amongst lost people. And when people complain that they, they're looking for their ministry, what they're often neglecting is they all, what they've already been given, what is already in their hand, what is already in their responsibility. But they're, they're despising it. And they think, oh, oh, no, but I want that. 
It's usually, very, very often if not usually, a statement of ambition, of wanting attention and respect. And they're almost always thinking of the church context and ignoring the bigger portion of life which is lived away from church. So people who are always kind of grasping for, quotes, ministry, are, it seems to me are not content to serve the Master Jesus. They want to be somebody doing something. So here's the question of the scriptures to us today. What is in your hand? What is already there? What has the Lord made you and given you? What are the opportunities around you? What means, abilities do you have? Don't neglect what God's given you and made you. Get on and do it. Serving one another, serving the unbelieving world, honoring our master. So the first one is material or means. What has God made you? What has God given you? Just be it and do it. And if somebody wants to put a name to it, then fine, if they don't, doesn't matter. Because Jesus, you're still serving Jesus. Second one is money. Sharp intake of breath. Some people hear the word steward or stewardship and only ever think of money. But money is one of the important factors in this overall issue of stewardship. A good steward uses money for God's sake. So now we go to Luke 16. And this story is about money. Now Jesus was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. Get the word there? It's this house manager, this steward. And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Not the manager's possessions, the master's possessions. So he's up on a charge, right? And he called the manager and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management. For you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, sorry, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of his master's debtors, people who owed his master money, right? And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take the bill, write 80. Now here's the strange thing. This is a strange parable. His master heard about this and praised the unrighteous manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For, says Jesus, the sons of this age, these unconverted people, if you like, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of of light. So I say to you, make friends for yourselves among the sons of light. Use among yourselves. Make friends by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. We'll be welcomed by our friends, by our brothers and sisters in Christ into the eternal kingdom. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Wealth, though the word Jesus used there was mammon. 
It's not even a Greek word. It's it's the name of a pagan deity. Of a Canaanite pagan deity. False god. You can't serve this false god of wealth, of money. Now the Pharisees got this one. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to these things and were scoffing at it. I'm very grateful to R.T. Kendall, whose book I picked up off my shelves this week, The Parables of Jesus, and he helped me to better understand this parable. Jesus is really not commending dishonesty. He's drawing a comparison between the sons of darkness and the sons of light, saying the sons of light should be as smart in using money for good purposes as they are with, with the way they handle money. The steward is in the wrong and he's about to be defied, but he craftily goes around reducing the debts owed to his master. And in so doing, two things was happening. He was building favour with those debtors who might take him in and give him a job. Right? But he was also making his master look very good. Because the debtors thought the master had told him he could do it. Guess what our job is in life? To make our master look very good. Not by dishonesty. This parable is not using money to represent something else. It's about money and how we use it. Notice again the Lord Jesus, how the Lord Jesus describes money and wealth. I know you've heard me about this before. But some people argue that money and wealth are, are, are good. Money is good. Others say they're amoral. They're neither good nor evil. You can just use them for good or evil. But Jesus says these things about money. I'm quoting him, his words here. Money is <laughs> boring. <laughs> Money is unrighteous. He said it's unrighteous. It is not morally good. It's not amoral. It has a moral negative value. It's unrighteous. He said it's deceitful. It will mislead you. It's tricksy. It's unfaithful. It will fail you. It cannot be relied upon. And he uses this word for a pagan deity. It is mammon. It is a false god. And in what we just read there, Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and be a lover of money. You're not loving God if you love money. Your love is going in one direction or the other. Your focus is in one way or another. We are stewards of this unrighteous, deceitful stuff, money. And we're to use this unrighteous, deceitful, unfaithful mammon for wise and holy purposes. Because money will fail, but God honouring use of the money that he allows us to receive will reap eternal reward. Using money well builds for eternal value. That is why we tithe. That's why I believe in tithing. And when we've learned to tithe, we can go beyond that measure in other giving and generosity. Because when we're doing that, we are again and again nailing down the love of money, saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to buy into the values of this world and spend all my energy worrying about money and loving money. Because you love it even when you don't have it. You know that? You don't have to be rich to love money. You can be really poor and love money because you would love to have it. We are told in the scriptures to keep ourselves from the love of money. We need to scour it out of us. For me, the discipline, the joyous discipline of every month figuring out what is 10% or maybe a bit more than that of my income and saying, right, back to God, send it back. Every month, Lighthouse pays me. You know that? 
Is that news to you? I think it shouldn't be. All right. I'm, I'm salaried. I'm... And every month, guess what? I give more than 10% back to Lighthouse. Yeah? Yeah. Because that isn't about, oh, well, why don't they just deduct it? No, no, no. I give back. Because that's the principle. God has given to me through Lighthouse. I give back to him through Lighthouse. See, well, that's just crazy. I remember working for, uh, uh, let me tell you, I remember working for a church organization that figured out what everybody, everybody got paid. They figured out what their tithe was on and deducted it because then they saved tax. I said, no, that misses the point. And I, was the, I came in as the accountant and said, no, that misses the point. We've got to change that. I want to explain why everybody went, yeah, you're right. So we increased everybody's salary by, by, by that amount and then everybody then started to give. And they had to organize their giving because then they were doing it. It wasn't being taxed from them. They were choosing to do it. As a measure of heart, as a discipline of grace. And I, I insisted, we're going to change that. We're not going to about saving tax and saving national insurance. We're going to do what... So we are like everybody else in church. We choose to give faithfully disciplined ways. I don't know why I told that to you, but anyway. We have to keep ourselves from love and money. I'm t- going quickly. But money is one issue of stewardship. And it is an issue in which we'll give account to God for. How we've used that unfaithful, unrighteous, deceitful stuff as well. Mercy too. We sing sometimes. I don't know what's the closing songs today. I didn't look. I did look, but I forgot. But we sing sometimes, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Yeah? I, don't, I can't begin to explain to you. I sound like some of my Jewish friends. I can't, I can't tell you. I, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. And then they do. You know, that's right. It's like the, the Yiddish kind of way of speaking. No, I can't tell you. But then they do. But I really can't put enough words together and the right words together to describe to you how important mercy is to God. His kingdom is founded in mercy and we are stewards of mercy. One of the old prophets says, He's shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's said that that was Martin Luther King's favorite, one of his favorite scriptures. When I'm looking at Matthew 18, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, there really isn't time, but there is a flow here. It's not a jumble of statements. This was written by Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore the mind and hand of God are on this this scripture in the way it's ordered. First of all, Matthew records Jesus talking to us about offences and his little ones. And woe to those who offend, who cause his little ones to stumble. Then he talks about lost sheep and, and searching for lost things and the father's shepherd heart of searching for lost people. Then he talks about dealing with offences. When, we, when we're offended with one another, as Christians, as believers, as disciples, how we handle that. Why? Because we need to be restoring lost people and lost relationships. He mentions their binding and loosing, which has absolutely nothing to do with demons and diseases. It has everything to do with retaining or releasing sins or offences. All right? The parallel scriptures in John 20. And then he talks about measuring forgiveness. They ask him, how many times shall I forgive my brethren? You talk about forgiving him and dealing with the offence. How many times shall I do that? And, and, and Peter comes up, uh, seven times? And Jesus says, how about 490? 70 times 7. In other words, are you still counting? Stop counting. 
Then comes this very challenging illustration, this parable, about the ungrateful, unmerciful steward. The language is very strong and severe. I want to hope, hope you'll understand why in a minute. This is, the whole context is God's mercy. God's heart towards lost people. And here's the parable that Jesus used to, uses to round this off. This may have come to the end of its useful life. For this reason. What reason? Mercy. The whole chapter. God's, God's shepherding heart, fatherly heart towards lost people. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Remember those blocks of you know, silver or gold? 10,000 gold bullion bars was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to pay, surprise, surprise, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground. Did you remember this? Who just fell to the ground? This fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, remember the words, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. They were vexed, as you might say. And came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. So the master summoned him. And the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. All right. New one of these this week. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The story is this. This man had been released from a debt of huge value. We can value it at about $12 million or 7.4 million pounds. That's a big lottery win, isn't it? But then he goes out and he threatens someone who owes him, in crude terms, $17 or about 10 quid. Imagine, if you will, someone won the lottery, Euro millions even, you know, last night. And, and they, they're going to go to London, they're going to get their cheque or, you know, it'll be transferred to their bank and they get counselling about how to use the money. But on the way to pick up their money, they ricker out, Fred round the corner owes them a tenner. I'm going to see Fred on the way. <laughs> I mean, how mean is that? How mean is that? But this is more about than money. The steward had been forgiven a debt of millions. He'd been shown amazing mercy. But he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what's happened. And he was in turn ungrateful and unmerciful. He had no measure 
He knew the measure of the money, but he had no measure of the mercy that he'd received. How you measure things matters, and how you measure mercy really matters. Do you know that you've received mercy? Let me ask you a question. Why did you become a Christian? Because you like church on Sundays? That's unusual. Perhaps the worship better than the preaching, but you know. Because you like these Christian people? Because you thought that being becoming a Christian would improve your lifestyle? Because you thought it would be a noble and brave thing to do because you became convinced of Bible teaching? Or simply this, because God had mercy on you, forgiving your sins because of Jesus. We need to know we've been forgiven, accepted, released by the Lord Jesus. We need to know that this mercy is free to us, but cast someone for us. Our astronomical debt was not just dismissed, it was paid by Jesus at the cross. God did not just forgive our debt, he paid our debt in Christ. Our debt was paid in full by the highest value, the most precious thing in all creation, the life of God's own Son. We need to keep hold of the measure of mercy. If we don't have a sense of the measure of mercy we have received, guess what? We will become ungracious, unmerciful, like that ridiculous, vengeful steward. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of mercy, so ungratefulness and ungraciousness and unforgiveness are foreign to his kingdom and loathsome to him. Don't know, you might want to not take this to the back room afterwards because you can be faced with some cake, but imagine flies crawling all over a wedding cake. Imagine cockroaches on your dining table this afternoon. That is how the Lord sees ungratefulness, ungraciousness and unforgiveness. They are loathsome to him because he is good and his mercy endures forever. That's why the language of the unforgiving steward is so severe. See, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. He teaches us to take action with this as well. Be on your guard. Against what? Against ungraciousness, unforgiveness. Being unmerciful. If your brother sins, rebuke him. It's not, I'm not going to say anything. I'll, 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 just, I'll just take it. No, no, if he's messed, messed you up, go and talk to him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day... And comes back to you seven times saying, I'm sorry, I repent. Keep on forgiving. Be on your guard against being ungrateful, ungracious, unmerciful. To try to hold the mercy of God which you desperately need every day of your life in the one hand while being with, withholding it from other people with this hand. I'm not going to be nice to her. <laughs> Just won't work. It's a short circuit. <laughs> Fuse goes... If you are not gracious towards other people, if you're unmerciful to other people, neither will your Father in heaven continue to forgive you. Why? Because you've burnt the fuse out. You've cut the flow off. You've received mercy, show mercy. You've been forgiven, so forgive. You've been released from God's judgment, condemnation, release other people from yours. Get grace for your hurts and forgive the offences of others. We need the grace and mercy of God to keep us gracious and merciful. We need to be gracious and merciful to continue to receive the grace and mercy of God. We've been made stewards of mercy as well as material and means and money. We've received grace and mercy. We can live in it and on it, but we must distribute it. It's like water, a wheel in a stream. Water in, water out. 
The water of God's mercy drives our lives. But it must be passed on to others. And I've got one more. And that's this, men. It's only because I wanted four M's. Sorry, ladies. But this includes women and boys and girls too. All right? People, relationships. How we handle other people really matters. And in the illustrations, the stories Jesus has given, we're going to look at one more very short one. A bad servant mistreats the other servants of the master. I think it was John Bunyan who said the first, one of the first acts of the Christian who's backsliding, quotes, going astray, is they pick holes in the coats of the righteous. They find people to criticize. Yes. Yes. A bad servant will accuse and abuse fellow servants. Why? Because it feels like it makes them doing better. They're trying to justify themselves. And by putting other people down, they're building themselves up. That way we all end up in the gutter, you know that? We've just read the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, threatening his fellow slave over a tenor. Here's another parable that links this inward attitude, in this case rebellion against the master, to the way we treat our fellow slaves. Let's go to Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household? So he's more than a slave, he's a steward, yeah? To give them their food at their proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. You, you do well, you get more. You get promoted. I don't know what promotion is going to look like in the eternal kingdom. What is he going to give us to do? I don't know. But it will be something. That's his promise. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves, accuse them and abuse them even, and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you notice the attitude of heart again? I've got all the time in the world. My master isn't coming back for a long time yet. So that slave starts to behave badly towards others and lives a personally indisciplined life. We're to live with this conundrum, this paradigm, paradox, I should say. We're to live every day to the full, serving our master as if he's coming back tomorrow. But we're to carry on like that day after day, even if he doesn't come in our lifetime. That's the paradox. We are finally accountable for the way we've handled both ourselves and others. We're responsible for the maintenance of our relationships. That's why if your brother does something, tell him, and when he repents, forgive him, and if it happens seven times a day, keep doing it. Because we're responsible for the maintenance of our relationships with one another. We're accountable for them. Finally, we are servants, even trusted stewards of the Lord Jesus. It's not a matter of our choosing to be so. He's made us so. He's made us so. That's our calling. I could have talked about sons of God, but we've done a lot of that in John and Romans and in 1 John. You know, I hope you've got hold of that and you can get, if you can get hold of that, you can pick up the old recordings and so on. Gradually building them back up on the website, our new website. Today we're talking about servants because this is an important way of the way we regard Jesus and where we regard ourselves. He's my master, I'm his servant. And he's given him responsibilities. And yeah, in my case, boy, I, I know I've, I've got some responsibilities. I'm to discharge those responsibilities for him. 
with an eye to his reward. And they fall into these main four categories. Means, material, what has he given us and how has he made us and what is in our hand. The money that he causes to flow into our hands. The mercy which will continue to flow into our lives so long as we don't block the, block the, the stopper, put the stopper in and stop being, ingratiate, stop being merciful to others. And the, the men, the, the relationships, the people around us, we handle them graciously, wisely. He's equipped us for our tasks. There's no lack of his mercy, there's no lack of his grace to equip us for every single thing in life. By his precious promises given, does everything we need for life and for godliness. Without exception. If we lack wisdom, ask. If we lack direction, ask. It is not success or wealth or fame that we live to pursue, but this final commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, in the long run, I remember getting this when I was at Bible College. One of the lecturers, I took him aside, asked him a question. He, he, wow! Did me the world of good. In the long run, we are not rewarded for what he gave us to do, but how we did it. In the long run, the Lord commends us for character. Well done, good and faithful servant. With however, whatever he gave us, whether you think it's much or little, whatever it was, the person who gained five more on their five, the person who gave two more on their two, if the man with one had invested it, he would have been given good and faithful servant too. Do you see that? Well done, good and faithful. Cross out. Bishop, pastor, evangelist, apostle, preacher, missionary, teacher, singer, worship leader. In the long run, none of those will matter. Because whatever God gave you to do, whether it was mostly in church or outside of church, what he wants in the long run is to be able to say to you, whatever it was he gave you to do, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into your joy. We're going to break bread together. And as we do so, uh, we'll be taking time to pray for people at the front here. And, I, you know, I don't often make much of a, an appeal kind of thing. I'm not good at them, I know that. I kind of just struggle with them. But I just sensed this morning that maybe one or two people actually feel, you know what, I need to stand up today and say, I acknowledge before God that I am his servant and I'm his steward. And I, need to, I, I want to look at all that God's given me. Family, workplace. All, and say, I want to be faithful in all of these things. I want to stop thinking there's something bigger and different and I want to get out of that to do that. I just want to be faithful where God's put me, with what he's given me. Amen. Amen. You know, because if I do that, I'll get that. In there. I'll get the sa- you will get the same commendation that the greatest apostle will get if you will be good and faithful in whatever he's given you to do. Because all those labels get crossed out in the long run. Maybe you want to come forward and get someone to pray with you. You just want to make, take a stand on that truth today. I invite you to do that while we're breaking bread as well. All right? Would six people please come and help us to serve? Three stations here in the back. 
bread and wine, which represent the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, by which we are not only brought into covenant with him, uh, that is to say we, we are saved by grace through faith, but he even talks about us being sealed by that covenant to him. An unbreakable, unchangeable seal of mercy. He has bound us to himself by his death on the cross. So we celebrate that again together today. His unfailing mercy. He is good. And his mercy endures forever. Father, thank you that by the cross of Jesus, by his broken body and poured out blood, we are yours. We are your dear children. He has been looking at another side of truth today. You have called us to be your servants. And if we do well, you will commend us for it. And if we've served you faithfully, we'll be rewarded for it. And so I pray today, Lord, that our minds may be opened up more and more to this vision of whatever we're doing, we're doing it for you. Wherever we are, whatever responsibility falls to our hands in those hours, we can do this for the glory of God, for the love of Christ. We say with David, Lord, I am your servant. Lord, I, I still long to be able to call you with greater depths of my heart, my master. Now, Holy Spirit, please quicken, please enliven our imaginations and our hearts as we break bread. Let's not do a routine thing, but see again the incredible mercy of God measured to us by the outstretched arms of Jesus at the cross. Amen.